0: section three of a cruise in an opium clipper by lindsay anderson this librivox recording is in the public domain section three chapters nine through eleven chapter nine the typhoon passes away the captain was eagerly scanning the appearance of the atmosphere by which we were now surrounded the barometer showed but little signs of a rise the sea was running in every direction the compass could point not a breath of air was stirring while a dense misty cloud hung all round at about two miles off on either side ahead and astern also after the lapse of a quarter of an hour captain gulliver gave orders for a new fore and inner jib to be bent forward mr jewel and i went forward and soon had the sails out of the locker and hands at work bending them The men were nimble, and seemed glad to be out of the throes of such a devastating and tempestuous scene as that which we had passed through in the last twelve hours. Although busy with the sails, I often glanced in the direction of the quarter-deck, where Captain Gulliver still stood watching the weather with an anxious look upon his countenance. In about half an hour we had got the staysail and jib bent and set. The chief officer went and reported to the captain that the sails were bent and new sheets rove. Mr. Jewell again came forward, and we were ordered to set up a new topsail and bend it also. We soon had the topsail on deck and the sail-rope around it. As we were in the act of swaying it off the deck, I heard the captain, in loud stentorian tones, shout, "'Hold on that topsail! All hands to their stations and secure that hatch again!' the words were scarcely out of his mouth when with a loud and deafening roar that can only be heard to be really known or described the hurricane was again upon us over went the eamont on her beam ends stand by your axes shouted the captain through his trumpet but don't cut till i give the order the hurricane struck us on the starboard beam the new foretopsail and jib took their departure with a report like that of a heavy gun the sheets having parted with the first sudden jerk the fore trysail from the close reef band up and with the throat slashed down was all that was on her now and seemed quite enough even with so much iron kentledge in her bottom the wind having caught us on the starboard side we were on the same tack as before and the same lee rail lay buried in the seething foam as every fierce gust rushed upon her she went over till her starboard broadside was in a horizontal position had the kentledge not been perfectly secured no doubt she would have gone right over but the kentledge being secured as if it were a portion of the structure of the vessel saved her from capsizing i had found my way to the quarter-deck with my brother officers and as i looked in the binnacle i observed she was heading northeast and the wind was about south and on the starboard quarter she was tearing through the water like a race-horse and the captain had ordered them to keep her northeast and make a good course after half an hour's hard fight with this second edition of the storm i noticed the captain's hard and anxious look slightly relax and an almost grim smile light up his features turning round to us officers who were ranged behind him hanging on to the weather-rail captain gulliver said i think we are all right now the time between the squalls is increasing and i rather imagine that last one was not quite so fierce as the one before go down and take a look at the barometer mr jewell he added Aye ay sir said jule and immediately made the best of his way below nothing loath for i think we were all getting anxious for a rise in the glass mr jule soon arrived his face beaming with pleasure and reported to the captain that the barometer had risen to twenty-seven point sixty this good news relieved all that were within hearing and the anxious careworn expression soon vanished from our faces after the next squall had passed captain gulliver turned to mr jule and said keep a good lookout for her now while i go and get a change into drier garments keep her northeast and let her come more easterly when the squalls are not on her you can also let each watch go below and shift themselves and then set the watch Anderson." He said turning to me go and beat up those cooks and stewards and tell them i expect something to eat in an hour's time as well as all hands we don't want a heavy spread but something in the rough that will fill a sixteen hours vacuum the captain dived below and we officers then congratulated ourselves on our escape through the calm centre of a wild and tempestuous hurricane the emont was now tearing through the water twelve knots an hour every mile told now for the hurricane was progressing westward and we were soon enabled to bring her up to east northeast and that was as high as the captain wished to come while heading northeast the wind had a tendency to go to the eastward but after it had eased itself of its wild rage and we had got her to east northeast It stuck at South, till we were out of all danger, and able to wear ship and proceed on our course to Amoy. By 3 p.m. we had all dined after a fashion, but what was more to the purpose we had all changed from wet to dry in clothing, and felt again as comfortable as a pug in a lady's lap at six p m the weather had eased so much as to allow of setting the topsail which with jibs and staysail and new foretrysail we had bent we had plenty of hands which made the work light and easy as the sun sank in his western bed the atmosphere was clear enough for us to make out the land on the port beam distant about eighteen miles we had scudded northeasterly about forty miles since the calm centre passed us, and since going on our course of northwest about another forty miles, so that when we were madly scudding round the centre in the morning we were never much more than twelve miles from the land. We had escaped a great danger, and were thankful we had kept clear of the hard and rocky shore. The next morning we were running along the coast under all sail with a pleasant and refreshing breeze from south-south-west, and at sunset of the second day after the hurricane, we were safely moored at the harbor of Amoy with two anchors a cable's length astern from our own receiving ship. The boarding nettings were triced up, and armed sentries with one officer kept watch over the Eamont on the lookout for the daring and exceedingly cunning thieves who infested this harbor of amoy chapter x we arrive at amoy and refit on the following day after the regular routine of the morning's work had been got over and the breakfast finished all hands were started to refit the ship the eamont was again stripped to a gantt line in order to make sure that all extra straining which the rigging had received in the hurricane should be properly seen to and made good Sailmakers were got from the shore and soon the quarter-deck was converted into a busy sail-loft new sails were made in the place of those we had lost new cordage of the best was fitted in the place of all that was carried away Four broadside guns were brought from our receiving ship, mounted on carriages, and fitted with new breechings and train-tackles, as well as all necessary appliances for their use. In about seven days the Emont was all a tonto, and looking as if she had never yet encountered anything stronger than the gentle zephyrs of a lady's sigh. As an encouragement to the crew, they had been promised twenty-four hours' leave, one watch at a time so when our refit was completed each watch had their day's leave on shore with as many dollars as they could well get through along with their chinese ferries it was considered better to let them have their fling on shore than to follow the custom that then prevailed on board of most english american and european ships of allowing boatloads of the demi to come alongside and permitting each seaman to choose his lady-love to keep him company on board while in port in those days this was quite a common occurrence not only in china but in the dutch east indian ports also some consuls objecting to the seamen having liberty on shore the consuls raised no objections to our proceedings in fact we had very little to do with them unless when carrying mails or despatches which we often did in those days before the steamer was seen on the coast of china the discipline in our vessels was as near as possible the same as in the royal navy several of the commanders as well as some of the officers had been sailing-masters in the royal navy the high rate of pay and the chances of making more being no doubt a great inducement for leaving the service there was also less stiffness and martinetism amongst the officers creating a general freedom united with respect for superiors when on duty our service was considered desperate by some as in the event of capture by the chinese the most horrible cruel and lingering of deaths was what awaited you the day on which i was granted leave is vividly pictured in my memory i had been from home for some years and had never come in contact with any one who took the slightest interest in my spiritual welfare my life had been spent in scenes of turbulence and amongst the wildest spirits that roved the ocean and in the many civilized and uncivilized lands it had been my lot to visit i suppose that like many others living amid such scenes my conscience was deadened and so long as varied and exciting enterprises filled the gap i was content it was about noon on a sunday when i left the eamont to have a walk on land as I was being pulled on shore in a sampan, I called on board of an English vessel that was loaded for London. It was mere passing curiosity on my part to see if I could glean any intelligence of what was happening in the old country. I was politely welcomed on board by one of her officers and told him who I was and what vessel I hailed from. "'All right, shipmate,' says this officer, "'we are holding a service aft on the quarter-deck. "'Perhaps you will come and join us.' i could hardly refuse his invitation so followed him to the quarter-deck and remained till the finish of the service a young missionary with a strong scotch accent that betokened somewhere near glasgow was the officiating minister almost as soon as he was done he came up to me i suppose because i was a stranger and dressed more like a landsman than a sailor for the time being good day sir said the missionary to me may i take the liberty of asking if you are from the shore or do you belong to a vessel in the harbour imitating the scotch accent i replied no liberty at all sir i am an officer belonging to a vessel in the harbour and i called on board here on my way to the shore simply from curiosity as well as to see if i could hear anything of the doings at home he then introduced himself to me by name and informed me of his calf-ground and after i had correspondingly introduced myself we had quite a talk over bonnie scotland as he was staying on board this vessel for the day the guest of the captain when our talk of caledonia was ended i was about to take my leave by the by said the missionary you have never told me the name of your vessel mr anderson and i would like much to have a talk with you again for society is not over-abundant here i had not told him the name of our vessel because i knew that some people were very much prejudiced against our service but when thus pressed i had no alternative as the eamont was lying only about five cables from where we were standing i pointed her out to him saying i am an officer on that pretty yacht-looking vessel lying astern of the receiving ship of messrs d and co what he said looking aghast at me you a well-brought-up scotchman and sailing in that class of vessel yes i replied the life suits me and i have nothing to do with the money made in the trade any more than if i was serving in this vessel and the owners for a goodly sum of money which they never refuse, carried a cargo of opium from hong-kong to here miserable sophistry anderson for would your people not force it on the country and even fight to protect it i don't know about forcing it on the country i retorted if there were no willing market for it there would be no trade and i expect this ship would fight as hard as she could to earn her freight for carrying the opium i am sorry mr anderson indeed to find a countryman of mine there at any rate and i wish i could prevail on you to give it up at present at any rate i said i like the life the excitement and the spice of danger and i assure you there are a good many that run down our trade from sheer envy they would be only too glad to get into the swim i have sailed in vessels flying the british flag belonging to talking philanthropic shipowners who very willingly received the freight earned in the carrying of slaves up and down the coast of africa these same owners could be heard glibly talking on public platforms in their most sanctimonious garb about the suppression of many so-called obnoxious traffics yet they were at the same time receiving goodly sums of money for the carrying on of one or other of these obnoxious trades we do it openly before the world and are therefore strongly marked in consequence after this long tirade of mine he shook his head and said ah mr anderson i still am sorry you are there and if other men are vile and unscrupulous in their trade that is no excuse for others to do likewise i should like to see you again but the reception i had on board one of your vessels will preclude me from visiting you on board however there is my card and if you are ever on shore again at any time give me a call I wished him a laughing good-bye, and hoped he would think as much good of me as he could for the sake of old Riki. I proceeded on shore, had a ramble through the town, visited several joss-houses or temples, and then, at the invitation of our comprador, who was almost a mandarin in his way, went to his house to have a real Chinese dinner. I had a famous meal, bird's-nest soup, also a preparation of beche de mer with shark's fins and a good many other chinese delicacies some of them unmentionable to a london epicure after dinner tea was served in porcelain cups of a beautiful pattern tea grown in his own garden which could only be sold at forty dollars a caddy it was tea similar in colour to palest brandy strong and refreshing a very nectar after tea the comprador accompanied me to the waterside saw me into my sampan and took its number a very proper precaution for john chinaman of the sampan thought nothing of a life if there were any dollars to be had and he happened to be the stronger of the two i got safely on board however and after reciting my experiences of the day to my brother officers soon retired for the night my leave not expiring till 8 a.m. of the following day. My missionary friend did not call at our ship, but we were greatly surprised on the Tuesday morning to find, lying on the after-skylight, several printed tracts severely condemning the opium trade and those engaged in its obnoxious traffic. Chapter 11. The Captain Explains the Nature of the Enterprise we were now again ready for sea, the refitting was complete, and the sailmakers had succeeded in restoring our sails to their usual complement. Two days more were expended in drilling the crew at the guns and small arms. We had firing at floating targets with the big guns, while revolver practice and the cutlass exercise was carried on under awnings on the deck. AT INTERVALS THE DRILL WAS VARIED IN ORDER TO ACCUSTOM THE MEN TO JUMP AT ONCE TO ANY ARM THAT WAS NECESSARY. THE CAPTAIN, WHO HAD ALREADY SEEN MUCH SERVICE, WAS ANXIOUS TO HAVE US ALL WELL UP TO THE MARK, FOR HE SAID THE FORMOSIANS, FROM ALL ACCOUNTS, WERE UGLY CUSTOMERS TO DEAL WITH. THEY WERE SAID TO BE A BIG, STRONG, AND hardy RACE OF PEOPLE, ONLY PARTLY CIVILIZED, BUT NOT AFRAID TO USE THE RUDE WEAPONS WHICH THEY POSSESSED our two days drilling over that same evening the captain arrived on board from the receiving ship where he had stayed most of the time during our temporary refitting after greeting us officers in his usual hearty manner and hearing from mr jule of the good condition everything was now restored to as also the proficiency of the crew at the guns and small arms he informed us that as he had gleaned all the information it was possible to get about this place we were bound to we should unmoor in the morning weigh the anchor in the ebb and proceed on our voyage of discovery The watch being set, and the order for all hands to unmoor at 4 a.m., passed along to the boatswain, the steward was ordered to serve out a glass of grog to the crew, while the petty officers were supplied with a bottle of rum to regale themselves with, as a wind-up to our ten days' work the men being attended to the captain ordered the steward to bring up some champagne and ice and we officers were invited to join him in drinking success to our undertaking after success in a full bumper had been drunk the captain said i will now give you all the information i have been enabled to get here there is an irish-american captain of the name of rooney who has succeeded in getting into this place named taku somewhere in the southwest end of formosa i have got the latitude and longitude pretty nearly out of an old chinese junk captain who has been there i showed him the china sea chart with the outline of formosa on it and he pointed to the spot i had been shown in hong kong as the supposed position of the entrance to this place i am also told that this captain rooney has succeeded in getting a large hulk into the harbour which he has turned into a receiving ship he is supplied with opium by an entirely new firm who have succeeded in keeping the place to themselves by simply spreading the report that their vessels were bound to manila they were always seen to go from hong kong through the green island passage and so people generally believe their report our people found out the opium never went to manila and following up the trail discovered that it was somewhere in formosa and about the southwest end of the island that is actually all we know about it said the captain and i'll tell you what we will do we will steer for this latitude and longitude then cruise along the coast till we see an entrance then we will send a well-armed boat in to examine the place and sound the way in with the lead previous to taking the eamont in, as we know nothing about what depth of water there may be there is also a possibility that when we arrive there we may come across some fishermen from the place we want to get to there are very few places near a coast but what they have fishermen of some sort either on catamarans or bamboo rafts now gentlemen you know as much about it as i do and i am sure you will give me all the assistance i need in getting to this unknown land we all assured him of our best endeavors to succeed and our pleasure in being engaged in a somewhat novel and exciting venture thank you said captain gulliver one more glass and then we will turn in and be up with the lark in the morning finishing our wine we wished him good night and proceeded to our various cabins and were soon in the arms of morpheus end of section 3